Welcome back to another episode of the SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning. I love having these in-depth conversations each week because not only is this work more important than ever, but more in demand than ever before. Move This World, the organization I founded, has been providing social-emotional learning curricula for over 13 years. And we've been reflecting a lot about how much has shifted in the last 10 months. We used to spend so much time and effort explaining what social-emotional learning is and why it's so important. I'm sure you've seen this whenever SEL came across your radar. Data points about SEL and how it impacts academic outcomes, the latest research about how SEL can improve school climate. We've always advocated for this work in schools through data and research because that's largely what folks needed in order to believe in it. But 2020, a whole new world. If you're not prioritizing mental health and social-emotional health for yourself, your colleagues, your students, and you weren't prior to the pandemic, you certainly don't have a choice now. The what and why of social-emotional learning is clear. Now district leaders are asking, how? How do we implement social-emotional learning with fidelity? How do we assess specific needs in each school? How do we support educators across a school district to implement SEL and build capacity to sustain this work over time? How do we evaluate the impact? How do we do all of this in a remote learning and non-traditional school environment? A school district that has taken an incredibly thoughtful, measured, and impactful approach to implementing and sustaining social-emotional learning is Durham Public Schools in North Carolina. Now, full disclosure, Move This World is one of the SEL providers that Durham Public Schools uses in their district. And we have learned a lot from the process they used to create a district-wide SEL initiative that supports 33,000 students across 54 schools. I recently had a chance to sit down with their Director of Student Services for Engagement and Access, James Futrell, who leads a team responsible for the implementation of restorative practices, social-emotional learning, comprehensive school counseling programming, multi-tiered systems of support, and mental health. We were joined by Dr. Christopher Soto, the Social Emotional Learning and Mental Health Coordinator at Durham Public Schools. We discussed their district goals, implementation process, how they plan to sustain this work year after year, and how they are supporting students and families during the pandemic. I hope you'll find some actionable ideas to guide how you can implement social emotional learning in your school community. Whether you're implementing SEL for the first time, or planning a more coordinated district-wide SEL initiative. I am so excited to be joined by not one, but two brilliant educators today. I'm here with James Guttrell, the Director of Student Services at Durham Public Schools, and Dr. Chris Soto, the Social, Emotional, and Mental Health Coordinator at Durham Public Schools. I want to start by having you each share a little bit about yourself and your journeys in education. James, can you kick us off? Sure. Thank you. So glad to be here today. Uh, I'm James Utrell, currently Director of Student Services uh, for Engagement Access with Durham Public Schools. Um, I've been in this role um, since January of 2017. Um, prior to this, uh, I've worked as a high school principal, high school counselor, uh, and high school teacher. Uh, and so my uh, career spans for um, the past 16 years has, has been working in uh, education. Uh, and uh, I am always surprised at how uh, much you look back and reflect upon 
uh, things that you could have done differently. And in this role, I've truly been able to do that when I recognize the valuable um, uh, relationship of social emotional learning uh, and its impact on, uh, on students. Thank you. And Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am the social emotional mental health coordinator for Durham Public Schools. And uh, my background really rides the fence between education and uh, and counseling uh, throughout my career. And one of the things that I recognized early is that uh, students need access to their own emotions and feelings. Uh, and I've always thought to myself how uh, interesting it is that we teach so many things to kids, uh, but we don't necessarily supply them with a handbook for the self. And so that's one of the pieces that I think is uh, extremely important. More recently, my, my work and my interests have uh, started to veer into uh, teacher uh, education and particularly teacher wellness because kids learn better from teachers who are modeling uh, emotions and their own regulatory abilities to their students. That's right. I want to get back to that because that's such an important point. So we'll make sure we touch on that in this discussion. Let's start by uh, checking in with ourselves before we dive into the conversation um, we had our own challenges, us all getting connected in this world that we're living in that is remote. So let's acknowledge those stressors and challenges and uh, move through them so that we can have a present and productive conversation. We'll do this with a quick circle of trust. So let's take a moment, each of us, and identify how we're feeling right now. If we could identify how we're feeling through a word or a phrase and maybe a sound. What is the sound of how you're feeling right now? Ooh. So what we'll do, thank you for jumping in, Chris. I appreciate your engagement. Um, so we can go ahead and mirror that back. So Chris feels, woo, so we'll all go, woo. woo. And is there a word or phrase? Is there a word or phrase, Chris, <laughs> to how you're feeling right now? Uh, curious and excited. Great. <sighs> James, if you could ex expand on that with a word or phrase, what might that be? Uh, so I'm feeling um, both. Um, Relieved, but um, and energized. Nice. Um, my sound is. <laughs> so we'd all mirror that with a little. <laughs> and I'm feeling swirling. I'm feeling swirling. Cool. Okay, so that's an exercise that teachers can use to check in with their students to acknowledge the emotional temperature of the room, whether that's virtually over a video sharing platform or in person, just to know, okay, I'm swirling, you're excited, you're curious, you're relieved. This informs how we um, move through our interactions together. So let's dive in. 
not all districts and schools have identified one person to specifically oversee social emotional learning. We, over the last 13 years, have worked with districts across the country, many of whom don't have anyone overseeing this work, or it kind of lives in a bunch of different departments. What went into the thinking behind the creation of the role for director of social emotional learning? Um, so I can kind of start there uh, with that. Um, I too have experienced uh, working in other districts where uh, there was not a focus or a specific position focused on coordinating uh, social emotional learning. And I would say even in with Durham Public Schools, um, uh, Chris's role with as he works with social emotional learning has really evolved into uh, a focus on uh, social emotional learning. Uh, more so uh, when we think about other um, uh, configurations um, that are part of a district's um, processes, and specifically when we think about tiered support systems, um, I think that's where social-emotional learning really um, came at the forefront or was placed at the forefront for Durham Public Schools and recognizing that as we shifted um, thinking about mental health to more social-emotional learning as a universal approach uh, to development uh, with all students. And uh, I think once we began to think about our tiered systems of support, we recognized um, that in our model of thinking about, well, there's academics on one side and then there's social emotional on the other side, then just as much we put focus on academics and all of the folks who are responsible in charge with leading uh, instruction around math, science, English, social studies, then we also have to have that same level of uh, intentionality and in making sure there are folks who lead work and round teaching of social emotional um, uh, behaviors. So uh, I do think that's where we have moved to a district is in really thinking about this as a universal approach to learning. So then what would you say to other districts whose response might be, well, social emotional learning is already happening at the you know, elementary level, it's just already happening. Can't our team that's overseeing that work just own social emotional learning? What would you say to folks who um, might respond in that way? Um, I, I would say that, you know, that's certainly been a, that may have been where we started with our mindset uh, uh, and, and through our lens. Uh, but what we do now have with, you know, Chris coordinating social emotional learning for our district uh, he's able to um, both provide specific resources to those teams that may already be in place to ensure that social emotional learning uh, remains a priority. Uh, he's able to receive feedback, help provide consultation, um, work collaboratively with schools to ensure that we are maximizing our effectiveness um, as we um, use um, social emotional learning as a uh, a really bridge to, uh, to, to learning, uh, for learning with students, um, the academic curriculum as well. Uh, so definitely it provides more intentionality around it. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, research shows that sequenced, active, focused, explicit, intentional social emotional learning is critical, that social emotional learning uh, by osmosis, while great, is not the same as really focused instruction in this way. What advice would you give to those who are considering creating a role or a team specifically focused on SEL, especially given the events of the last five months and the collective trauma that 
we've all lived, this work is more important than it's ever been. So do you anticipate other districts following in your footsteps and establishing departments or roles focused on this work? And, and what advice would you give them? So I think uh, the first thing um, I, I would have, uh, the advice I would give is really starting with the why, you know, communicating broadly um, the why this is important. Um, recognizing that students' needs um, were present um, prior to um, the COVID closures. Now, with this being an adverse childhood experience for many, there's even a greater need um, for both uh, tier one um, supports to help students navigate and manage their emotions and feelings um, the most appropriately, but also um, as we move up through the tiered um, levels of support. Uh, I think we, we begin with the why, why, this, why students need this, but also focusing on the behaviors of adults, right? Um, you get the buy-in from adults who would who would essentially be um, responsible for ensuring the implementation uh, and, and help them to understand how the um, social emotional learning of, of, of adults is essential towards their own uh, understanding and, and feeling um, adequate to support students during this time. And so you really have to begin with focusing on um, the why and creating a vision of what it's going to look like um, in, in the district and really meeting people where they are, you know, um, understanding that this is going to be, this is a new language, new vocabulary uh, for some. And then there are some who are more uh, further along. And, and, and I would say myself in my own journey and my own experience, um, this has been much learning for me to get to where I am in my understanding and advocacy uh, for SEL, and so understanding that people are in different places and meeting people where they are uh, is going to be essentially is going to be important. Um, and and utilize teams that are already in place um, if they are, and help grow uh, their capacity for for understanding SEL. But also, I think there are opportunities for those to those same teams to model broadly within their own schools and organizations so that um, they can see that it, that it's, uh, that it works at all levels. I think that's important. And how do your two roles work together, the director of student services and the social, emotional, and mental health coordinator? So, um, so, so Chris and I work together in a sense of, um, so social emotional learning is one of the areas of engagement and access, right? And so other areas of engagement and access are school counseling, um, mental health, multi-tiered systems of support. And so I'm able to help um, bring those things together uh, in a way that's meaningful because at the district level, uh, schools need to receive those things together, um, not feeling that you know, tier systems of support is in isolation from social emotional learning or the role of the school counselor in being leaders of social emotional learning, but not necessarily the only adults in the building who are explicitly teaching it, right? But they can become leaders in our school counselors developing their leadership to lead this work with 
um, other teachers and their school administrators. Uh, and then um, the mental health component as we move up the tiers around social emotional learning, understanding how that impacts. So uh, I would say, you know, Chris is a critical um, part in that because he can provide explicit, you know, specific resources around SEL that really um, brings those other um, uh, areas together um, of, of the work that I do. Excellent. One of the goals you've identified in your strategic plan at Durham Public Schools is to have 100% of schools implement research-based cultural frameworks to support the social, emotional health and safety of students and staff. With 54 schools in the district, that's pretty ambitious. Where are you in that process? And what does that process look like so far? So I think, uh we are in still the beginning stages. Um, and one of the things that we decided to do was to focus initially on elementary schools, which are uh, going to be developmentally um, really, really helpful to look at uh, children as developing the language of feeling, developing some of the habits and characteristics of being able to self-reflect, self-regulate. And so I think from both a systemic uh, standpoint, which is that when we have 54 schools, um, it's important to leverage our resources to the largest areas of impact. And initially, that's going to be uh, elementary schools. We are expanding that effort and we are certainly going to be heading more towards the middle school and, uh, and high school er arenas, uh, which although uh, vital for a full comprehensive approach to social emotional learning, um, are more complicated in their engagement and implementation. And so that's the process that we have um, really gone down in terms of uh, how to select um, areas to, to, to target initially uh, for maximum impact. Um, and then the other piece that I that I wanted to, to touch uh, touch on that James alluded to uh, is the importance of of, into, of, of taking an integrated approach, um, implementation and integration. And I probably say those words to myself over and over and again during the school during the days and, and weeks of, of the work week. Um, the one of the things, and I'll give you a, a, an interesting example. Um, one of the things that I think is really really important to understand is that emotions are not separate from the academic school day, that emotions that, that our, our, our schools are saturated with feelings and emotions, and that learning, in fact, is un unlocked when you have kids who are focused and attentive and can understand what their own motivations are and moving towards that. And that is also true for adults. Um, the integration piece that I mentioned is the uh, is the integration with mental health services in, in MTSS. And that's one of the areas that James has been really fantastic at is to make sure that uh, the people who are at the table um, are recognizing that, uh, that, that social emotion, the social emotions um, can be diffused 
uh, throughout. Um, as a, I remember as a school counselor uh, in, in, a, in a public high school in Philadelphia for many years, I found myself almost as the face of emotion. And so that role meant that teachers and students and parents would often find their way uh, onto my phone or into my office and would share things and and and, and talk about concerns um, and that one of the things that I recognized was that uh, that that is something that needs to be diffused across a school environment for the impact really to be felt and so that's one of the reasons why I've appreciated move this world's approach in the classroom in particular because it gives the teachers the opportunity to also hold those feelings and those emotions and to be able to recognize that it's not something that should be located in anybody's uh, office in particular. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one of the things that we've tried to do to get back to your question is to make sure that we're bringing uh, teachers and administrators up to speed in what social emotional what the social emotions are really relying a lot on castle uh, and their framework as we're looking at um, at meeting some of the needs of the administrators and implementation but also beginning to ask specifically through restorative practices um, which is another piece of uh, some of the work that James has done um, that we have processes in place that are vehicles for that for that recognition how are you supporting schools in implementing uh, these frameworks? Uh, so one of the things that we've been trying to do is uh, get schools together who are implementing the same frameworks. So um, in the, you know, prior to the COVID-19 shutdown, uh, we had all of the schools um, who were in their first year of social emotional learning implementation come together and we were able to have the schools, the Move This World schools engaging with one another and what that looks like for them and discussing amongst themselves some of the systems work, some of the tools, some of the practices that they that, that are that are work, beginning to work for them, um, as well as uh, constraints and barriers that they may need to overcome, because really what we are talking about is a mindset shift. Um, and so the, the, the implementation piece um, is really taking a, a, a collaborative approach and, again, really relying on, on CASEL. I find myself saying that a lot um, because every single time I've ever said to myself, man, wouldn't it be great if we had X to give some guidance, um, Castle and Move This World have been really, really wonderful um, and in, in, in having those resources that are available. And so, for example, uh, we have asked all implementing schools to, um, to look at the implementation, the school-based implementation framework that Castle provides um, so that they can self-reflect as a community as to where they're at in their implementation and then design um, uh, consciously what their next steps um, in that process are. When you talk about the education piece of 
from the adults. And you, James, said in this conversation that there was a lot of learning on your part. I find that so interesting because when we started this work 13 years ago, we encountered so much resistance from adults who would say, oh, no, 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 no. Um, my staff don't need this. They've been doing this work for 30 years. It's about the kids. The kids are the ones who have the challenges. It's all about the kids. And uh, my good friend, Dr. Marisa Elias at Rutgers, who heads up the Social Emotional Learning Lab, has said to me then, 13 years ago, and still says, it's like giving a kid an antibiotic and applesauce. You just have to backdoor it in terms of the adult work. So what resistance, as you've been supporting schools and implementing these frameworks, either of you, what resistance have you encountered from adults? How have you navigated that? Or even, James, what are some of the learnings that you yourself have experienced as you've been implementing and integrating, to use your language, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would say that, you know, last school year, the um, 2019-2020 school year, was our first year of having standardized SEL curriculum across the district. And uh, we made it completely voluntary of our elementary schools to participate. And we have 30 elementary schools. And um, and initially, we we had uh, 17 schools, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, 17 schools during the 1920 school year to voluntarily participate in um, in implementing one of our standardized curricula across um, the district. And so I think for those schools, I'll speak to the schools that that decided to implement, um, they felt that they had all of the, the structures, the foundation in place and the timing was 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 correct was was appropriate for them to begin that journey in implementing um, an SEL curriculum. Um, now, those schools that did not immediately join, um, there there was interest, but maybe the timing was not right for them in terms of when you think about all the necessary components that go into doing this and doing this well. So, I would say, you know, leadership is very important if you're going to implement, right? And so leaders were probably um, reflecting upon where they were in their own, um, uh, you know, leading the school uh, and where and, and what the needs were at the time. Uh, and so uh, there was some reflection and figuring out where we were with that, uh, what were going to be the initial priorities um, as a school, and and then also maybe thinking about what other um, areas or or what could they learn from those who were gonna implement the first year, right? And so I think there are many reasons why um, those 17 initially began, but then I think there are also many good reasons why those 13 that did not last year also also joined. But from Chris and I's standpoint, I would say from my standpoint, I do know, it was from a cohort model of implementation with 30 elementary schools, it was helpful for us to be able to work with with a smaller group of schools implementation so that we have that can carry over into this next cohort of schools for implementing. Um, So I would say the resistance has mainly been met through um, timing 
and just reflecting upon the the, the priorities at, at the school at the time. And so when you think about that decision to begin implementing, to begin with this cohort, I've seen in, in doing this work that there's often a crossroads that either a community or a leader experiences should force them or kind of propel them down the path of prioritizing and investing in mental health and social emotional learning. When and why did Durham begin focusing on social emotional learning and mental health more heavily? Was there a moment, an incident? What was that um, drive that got you on this path? Well, I think it starts with, um, you know, visionary leadership at, at the at the highest level. So um, I would say that, you know, you talked about our strategic plan early on, right? And so our superintendent, um, Dr. Mabinga, um, developed a team to create um, the strategic plan. And priority two of our strategic plan addresses the needs of the whole child. And, um, and within that priority are various um, goals and strategies. And we specifically name, I say we as DPS, we specifically name social emotional learning um, and the implementation of curriculum as a strategy that is gonna help us meet our priority and meet our academic learning goals. And so the visionary leadership to ensure that um, we had uh, a social emotional learning curriculum and the resources necessary to um, support schools in implementation is critically important. Great. Um, what are you most proud of um, for either of you, the work that you've done so far? I would, I would say the responsiveness uh, from from teachers and educators um, has been uh, at times very moving. I I, I am also um, as I mentioned at the outset uh, a, a um, in in counseling, uh, and I was working with uh, several. Um, I had several teacher clients because I believe that that is a really, really vital part to making sure that the teachers feel supported and well. And one of the things that happens sometimes when I'm walking around a school building and I have my badge, somebody will identify uh, on my badge that says, you know, men mental, they'll ask me what I do. And I say mental health um, and social emotional learning. Uh, and, and, I, and I often... Uh, more times than I can count, find myself suddenly engaged in a, in a corner conversation with somebody who is expressing um, worry and, and concern. Uh, and those moments are, are, uh, are a real privilege because there's a, a faith and a trust that people place in us, um, again, in particular, because they know that there's an investment in them, as, as James mentioned, as the, as the whole person. Um, rather than just as somebody who was there to to, to do a role, um, certainly from a from the more um, uh, strategic uh, growth of the social emotional learning um, uh, initiative, I would say that uh, the the move from seventeen to thirty schools and the pretty. 
uh, adamant demands of the principles to engage in the work, which is new in and of itself. Uh, we've laughed a, a, a fair amount of times um, about th that 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 in the in in the social, emotional, and mental health um, system, that there was a period of time where we were almost seen as invaders of a space. Uh, but more recently, it has felt more like if we're not delivering those services, then we are uh, then then we're behind, and that. And so the 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 it has shifted from having to push in to being asked in mm -hmm. to being required mm -hmm. to be in, yeah. and I think that that in and of itself um, is is a is a is a real uh, tribute to the growth of social emotional learning, um, which and I don't mean to get overly philosophical. I think is is a part of a um, a. a a, sh a mindset shift with with education from the banking notion to more of a distributed um, sense that it's it's very important that as communities we all engage in this work. So building off of that, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. Um, the transition of going from you know advocating for it, or I feel like I've been waving my hands in the air and pushing that boulder up the mountain and really screaming from the rooftop, and everyone's been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Sarah again doing that, you know, soft, crunchy, kumbaya, non-cognitive skills, non-IQ competencies, soft skills, all of the ways that this work has been, you know, pushed aside to now asking for it. So I couldn't agree with you more. What do you hope to see for the future, both of you? So um, I, I hope to see uh, this work expand. Um, I know our SEL curriculum focus has been elementary. Um, last year moving into this school year. Um, but we really need to uh, expand this to middle school and high school as well, where there's an intentional focus on uh, teaching uh, SEL. Uh, and I really hope that uh, we continue to include it as part of our everyday language uh, in, the, in our educational landscape uh, here, in, here in our Durham community. Uh, and we have been uh, fortunate so far um, to have, uh, as Chris say, um, educators in our district really now begin to gravitate towards it and, and, and have a, a thirst for it. And, and we just hope to see that work broaden. And, and, to, and to the point that you made, uh, Sarah, I have a, a real strong belief that social emotional learning is a technical skill that it is that that certainly it has uh, importance to us in and of itself as being human beings who are caring and compassionate in in the schools, but there's also a, a real functionality about it. And so I think that what I would like to see uh, in the in the coming years, what I believe is is happening and gaining traction, is an increase in professional development opportunities for teachers uh, at, the, at the graduate school level as they are becoming educators, that there is a greater prioritization of the relationship building skills um, as a part, as a core part of what it means to deliver good 
instruction because that is the bridge. The, the teachers are the holder of the content and to the degree that they can self-regulate and self-manage to the degree that students are in a position to have uh, good working relationships both with one another and with their teachers. Um, that's vital for the growth of their uh, intellect and their academic success. And so I, I, I believe that, again, going back to that word, in, in integrative, um, my, my real hope is that, uh, that social-emotional learning is, is seen as a, as a technical piece of being a really good teacher. It's so exciting to see that conversation taking shape because, again, 13 years ago when we were advocating for this, we were working with a number of teacher training organizations who were beginning to introduce this concept of self-care and connection and all of the ways that social-emotional learning lives and breathes, not just in the classroom, but as a professional and as a human being. Um, but I'm seeing more momentum in that sphere. So that's exciting. This spring brought on unprecedented challenges for staff, students, and overall communities with COVID-19 and school closures. What were the top priorities of your team in supporting the transition to online learning? Um, I would say that, um, and, and we've done some work specifically around COVID. Uh, we were fortunate um, to work with, uh, we had a, a, a grant um, from our um, Department of Public Instruction in our state that allowed us the opportunity to um, talk specifically with different stakeholder groups around the impact of COVID and how best to work with adults and students during this time. So um, uh, we worked, uh, our mental health coordinator in our district uh, worked closely to, um, with our, uh, another um, mental health agency who provides mental health supports in, in our community to offer sessions to parents on how they could help uh, their students while they were home and offer support around trauma and how they could identify and recognize symptoms of students who were struggling and how they could best respond. Um, uh, we were able to provide some trainings to uh, teachers uh, around uh, what to recognize in a remote learning environment. Um, we also provided some training just for administrators in their role um, as we transition to uh, remote learning. Uh, as well as um, uh, our student services staff, specifically providing um, supports for them in professional development um, as they um, facilitated various um, responsibilities as it related to addressing the needs of children um, while we transition to online learning. Uh, and so we were fortunate to have something already in place and easily adapt to that, that transition. And so we just made it our priority to focus on, uh, uh, you know, the COVID closure. Um, some of those trainings were already going to take place, but we made it our, our intention to uh, focus on, on, on the COVID closure and its impact. Um, and so, and then we also uh, developed some resources and made them available online. Uh, we have a Ignite a DPS webpage where we were able to have an area just focused on social emotional learning 
Uh, we actually were able to pull some resources from Move This World and include some videos for parents uh, to use at home um, with their children that would help them um, with mindfulness and different breathing exercises. And so we made those type of resources available uh, for, for parents to use at home uh, during this time. Uh, and I would say also just our um, preparation for the upcoming school year. Um, as we know that as we were really uncertain what the 20, um, 20, 2021 school year would look like, um, just lots of preparation and planning going into uh, re-entry uh, has been our priority. So thinking about re-entry, what are your priorities as you move into the fall? And what role do you see SEL playing in how we reimagine schools and learning? So I, so I think that um, the, the two uh, that immediately jump into my mind in terms of priorities is number one, making sure that we are screening our students and giving our support staff as well as our teachers the tools that they need to identify students who are particularly fragile, who have been through um, a, a, a more challenging time, both with the uh, anti-racist efforts that have impacted all of us very deeply, as well as the COVID closures and some of the circumstances that may be more challenging, that those are some um, areas that we need to uh, red flag uh, and provide additional services as quickly as possible, because research shows us that the quicker you address trauma and, and, and have that conversation and allow a a voice to be heard, the the healthier the outcomes are. And so I think that would be number one. And number two and related is to make sure that teachers and uh, families have resources. And so, you know, um, we, we have been able to uh, start um, uh, designing a social emotional learning platform, um, an SEL hub uh, that is new to the district. We have partnered with uh, educational, not global educational nonprofit FHI 360 that is uh, ha happens to be located in in Durham as well as Washington D.C. and they have been really uh, wonderful about helping us think through how to create a pa a platform that develops uh, tools, activities, and resources that can be accessed by students, staff, and caregivers um, to both, uh, again, educate um, everyone about what uh, the social emotions are, but also really give them resources if things are that are concerning um, are, are, are happening, as well as self-regulation tools, uh, critical conversation activities. And so that's going to be launched really soon just to give everybody, put everybody on the same page as much as we can. Great, exciting. So before we wrap up, you know, we've spoken a lot about the need for self-care and taking care of ourselves as educators and adults doing important and exhausting work. You two at the helm of this in Durham, how are you taking care of yourselves? How do you practice social emotional learning in your day-to-day -day life? What are some of the hacks you use to stay well mentally, emotionally, and socially? 
Um, so I, I try to really practice uh, what I preach. Um, and as Chris said, you know, uh, one of my areas is um, restorative practices and leading professional development and, and working with a team of other um, uh, leaders such as Chris in, in training uh, school-based staff in use of restorative practices. And so something that I try to do is what we call in restorative practices, stay in the with box with other people. Um, not to do things to them, not to do things for them, or just not to be neglectful, but to really be collaborative and um, work with people and, and, and you know, uh, solicit input, solicit feedback, and really make decisions um, by building consensus. Um, I have found that to be um, a good way in, in uh, managing stress uh, uh, through, through the workplace and throughout my personal life. And uh, that has worked well, is, is really, as I say, standing with Fox. Great, thank you. Chris, about you? Yeah, so, so I've, I've uh, been joking with people that I've put self-care on pause for a couple of months, <laughs> um, which, is, which, is, uh, which is thankfully not entirely true, but sometimes <laughs> feels that way. Um, I, I, I would say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, you know, research has shown that when you're, you know, with, when we're trying to mitigate the negative impact of stress and anxiety, uh, particularly in, in adults, there are two features that really stand out. One is self-awareness and the other one is relationships. Um, and so I am uh, privileged and, and, and thankful to have some very valuable relationships. One of the things that I did early in the closure that I've continued is to uh, um, reach out to people who I typically would not talk to on on the on the regular, um, and have uh, conversations with people. I've surprised several people um, just by dialing an old phone number that's been in my phone for a couple of years and being like, "Hey." How's it going? Um, and so uh, I think, you know, I also have been in, in, in probably much closer contact with some of my closest friends, um, making sure that, that we're checking in. I also happen to have a, a two and a half year old and a five year old. And I will say that every morning, you know, when, when, I, when I wake up, um, there is a, uh, there's a real benefit to talking with somebody who has absolutely no comprehension of all of the struggles uh, that we're going through in the world. And, um, and so they're, they are my self-care. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I have a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and throughout the entire closure, I said to everyone, there's nothing more grounding than having toddlers in this pandemic because you know, whatever's happening in the world and her and their make-believe imaginations, it's like, in this moment, we're going hiking and we're on an adventure and we're climbing up the mountain and that's what matters to them. So I couldn't agree more. There's a lot that's really hard about being a parent right now, but it's also such a gift in so many ways too. Um, well, let's go ahead and close. This has been such a dynamic discussion and we all have so much to learn from the really important and innovative work that you're doing in Durham Public Schools. So let's go ahead and just close with three intentional breaths soaking up all of the knowledge um, that you shared with us. So let's take this first breath for the power of social emotional learning in healing ourselves and in building community. Take a breath in. 
and out. Let's take this second breath for this community of practitioners, educators, leaders who continue to prioritize the practice and to use your language, Chris, the implementation and the integration. So breath in and out. And let's take this third and final breath for ourselves. May our days be meaningful and productive and our nights peaceful. Breath in and out. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into the SarahCast today. I loved spending this time with you. Before you go, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in and breathe out. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on movethisworld.com. The SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning, is produced by the Move This World Audio Network. Move This World supports social-emotional learning for students, their families, and their school communities through evidence-based curricula rooted in creative expression and movement. You can find additional resources to support SEL in your district, school, classroom, or home on our website, movethisworld.com. I'll see you next time.